You're listening to WNHHLP, 103.5 FM New Haven, streaming live at www.newhavenindependent.org and broadcasting live from our offices on Elm Street. This is another episode of The Show with Michelle Turner. Thank you, Lucy, so much for that. Lucy is our super uber producer. That means she's really, really good at what she does. And I thank her every time I'm on the air because without her, there would be no me. So thank you very much, Lucy. This is this Tuesday's edition of the show. Good morning to you. My name is Michelle Turner, and I have the pleasure of being your host here on the show this morning. And usually we're very New Haven centric, even if we take in topics that are nationwide or global. So this past Thursday, well, the Thursday before, really, we are taping this one, um, was World AIDS Day. And I had the opportunity to participate in a citywide venture that allowed us to celebrate those living with HIV and AIDS, as opposed to looking at the statistics of those who have been affected by this disease and the communities affected and looking at it as a solemn or in a solemn way. We celebrated the fact that we have found a way to control this disease that really, truly not only ravaged the world, but really had a terrible effect in New Haven, especially among teens and and in the African-American community. So on the phone with me this morning is the Director of Infectious Diseases for the Hill Health Center. Her name is Dolores Greenlee, and she has been involved in waging the war against HIV-AIDS since, ooh, D, the 80s? Um, Probably, Michelle, maybe late 80s, early Uh 90s. Uh-huh, yeah. Same thing. Thank you, first of all, for being on the show this morning. I really do appreciate it, especially since you're a bit under the weather. And thank you for having me. <laughs> so let's talk about that a little bit, Dolores, if you will. Um, the 80s, the mid to late 80s, early 1990s were a very scary time for people actively involved Sexually, I said that kind of grammatically backward, but I think you get the idea. Uh, AIDS really was taking a toll on the New Haven community. And at first, like everywhere else, we couldn't figure out really what the disease was. Secondly, it was taking people, we thought, out very, very quickly. Like one, you may have heard, you know, a week prior that somebody had the disease or in a lot of communities, they were even calling it the thing. And the next week that person was gone and hospitals weren't treating it. People were leaving behind children, family members. It was really a very scary time. And as time went on, as we know, we defined the disease Magic Johnson had the disease. He came out and basically told people. And we watched him 
almost in these past 20 to 25 years come full circle with living with this disease. How's New Haven living with this disease, Dolores? Well, um, that was a good synopsis, Michelle. Um, Back in the 80s, um, late 80s, early 90s, we lost a lot of people. Mm -hmm. It was um, a very scary time. A lot of uh, people in the arts in particular. Um, Back then, the disease mostly infected uh, gay white men um, and then did uh, begin to trickle into our community uh, in uh, black gay men. Um, And then the disease started to take changes over the years. You know, we're into this 35 years now, Mm -hmm. believe it or not. Mm -hmm. And um, the disease then looks quite different than it does now. It still obviously is the same thing, but we are able to manage it and control it with drugs now. And people are actually living a lot longer. In fact, the population that we see at the Cornell Scott Hill Health Center mm-hmm. uh, is predominantly over the age of 40. Yeah. Um, and we even actually have, have uh, some folks who are turning 70 uh, with this disease and have had it since the late 80s or, mm-hmm. or early 90s. So it's looking very different now. And people are trying to... Um, really remove this spot that it is a uh, a death sentence, uh, but that it is more of a manageable chronic disease. Um, and while that's true, there's still um, a lot that has to be done um, to stay healthy. Uh, the drugs that uh, we have now, there are many more than, than back then. We only had AZT back then. We have mm-hmm. tons of drugs now mm-hmm. and used in combination um, um, antiretroviral therapy. Uh, used in, in uh, com- Drugs used in combination can really keep people alive longer, uh, keep them somewhat normal. Um, now, granted, there are different things that can go on with these drugs, and that's why uh, we have to stay vigilant on, on looking, continuing to look for a cure and continuing to look for a vaccine um, because that will probably be the only way we can eradicate this disease. But people are living longer, mm-hmm. uh, but but they can become resistant to the drugs, and the drugs can have uh, different various side effects for people. So these folks still have to be closely monitored. They have mm-hmm. to see their doctors more regularly than folks who don't have this disease, um, they do suffer side effects from, from uh, the medications oftentimes, mm-hmm. um, and they have to work closely with their doctor. Uh, so it's a lot different than it was back then, um, and it is very promising. We're in a, a great place now, and that's why as a city-wide uh, function, we did hold the uh, paint night, uh, walk the red carpet for and paint with a purpose night on Thursday of last week in order to celebrate where we are now and commemorate where we were then. Um, People are encouraged um, and people really felt as though we have a charge. We were given a charge Mm -hmm. when we left on Thursday to try to reduce the stigma that still remains around uh, the disease. Well, let me... Some of that, we can perhaps... um, it helped to eradicate it. 
Let me backtrack a minute. When you say it looks different, what do you mean? Are you talking about some of the things that you did name? The fact that it's a chronic disease now, the fact that we have different medicines and different combinations that kind of work with people's immune systems. How does it look different? Well, now you, back then you would know, you would kind of know when someone was sick. Mm. Um, And you could visibly see the uh, implications of the disease. But today you can't see that as easily. Mm -hmm. So it's a Uh, physical look. As well, it's a look, I think, yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I think that um, it also looks different in the respect that, like I said, people are living a lot longer, mm-hmm. um, and there are a lot of, of course, there are other other uh, medical advances that we've made where people in general are living longer, mm-hmm. and so there, unfortunately, there's a good part and a bad part to that because. If people are living longer, they're able to infect people longer. Right. Not in treatment. So it it does look different in that regard and that people are not dying as much as, as they were then. Now people are, you know, back then, like you said in your in your summary, in your introduction, that people were dying very fast mm-hmm. and and by great numbers. Today, people are still dying, but they're dying from natural sort of causes things right. that are not even uh, that are not AIDS, and so it's that part is different. Um, but you know the disease is still there, um, and if not treated, and if people are not virally suppressed, they can continue to spread the disease. And one of the issues is is that one in three uh, African Americans are not are not uh, getting the proper treatment or are not following the proper regimen uh, that they should follow. So that's what continues to keep this going in our community. Yeah, because I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the Connecticut Department of Public Health website, and as of 2014, uh, the year of diagnosis, it's 40% among African-Americans in Connecticut. Mm-hmm. Why is that number exactly. so high? Whereas uh, with Hispanics, it's dipped below 14%. And with mm-hmm. whites, it's just at 3%. Now that's 2014. Of course, we're going, getting ready to go into 17, but this is the latest that is on their website. Yeah, it takes a little while for the data to be compiled and, mm-hmm. and put up on the system. And, you know, we're just now compiling 2015. Mm-hmm. So um, that is, that is uh, for all intents and purposes, most current. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the disease now, like I said, back then it was um, the population affected was, was mostly the white, gay, uh, male population. Mm-hmm. Now what we're seeing is predominantly African-American, um, some of the highest uh, populations, subpopulations of that would be um, the women are, black women are at about 25%. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and the black men who have sex with men, mm-hmm. uh, whether gay, whether they consider themselves gay or not, mm-hmm. that is the fastest growing population. Um, 
exact in terms of the youth of, of the gay mm-hmm. uh, black gay population, and uh, this is the area, the population that we're really concerned about right now, and that most of the uh, local programs are focusing on. Is trying to first of all identify this population, mm-hmm. get them tested, um, if in fact to get them into treatment, and also get those folks who are at most risk and at highest risk to get them on what we call PrEP or pre-exposure prophylaxis. And who is that? Who's the highest risk? Or who's um, at the higher risk? Youth 13 to 24. Okay. Um, and particularly African-American youth 13 mm-hmm. to 24, who, men who have sex with men. Okay. Now, continually, you know, nationwide, men who have sex with men continue to be the largest infected population. But considering the uh, that we're only 16% of the population of the, of the nation, and we're, you know, above 44%, of those mm-hmm. infected. That's, you know, that's really uh, showing us that this is a population we have to focus on. I'm working with some so, students right now, and I'm working with a lot of young men. And I tell them all the time, I really don't want to hear the conversation about your sex lives. Keep that, you know, between you all, go in a group and talk about it. But they have a tendency to talk about it out loud. And one of the things that I'm noticing is that none of them are talking about using condoms, even though they use the slang bag it to have sex with young women. They're not really physically bagging it, so to speak. So obviously there needs to be more education in that age group. Yeah, I, it is uh, it is imperative. Um, what we've been trying to do is to meet them where they are. Mm-hmm. Because if you think about someone 13 to 24, they're not going to come into a health center if they're not feeling well. I mean, unless they're not feeling well. Mm-hmm. Um, if they're feeling well, we'll never see them. So <laughs> <laughs> we don't have an opportunity to test them, to help educate them. So what we're we're trying to do is meeting them where they are. In fact, we uh, as as one of our World AIDS Day events, we had a concert at the Boys and Girls Club, a free hip hop concert, mm. where we had um, uh, a local uh, hip hop group, Xfinity, Music, mm-hmm. and also we had uh, Lil Key from the rap game uh, that. The mm. show that was produced by yeah. Queen Latifah and J- Jermaine Dupree. And they had a great time. It was something totally out of the box that the uh, a community health center would not typically do. But we are really concerned about this population. Mm-hmm. We're really trying to, to, to reach them. And so we have to go to them. And so that's what we decided to do. And people thought we were crazy because oh my God, you know, all these things that could possibly happen wrong. Mm -hmm. But these kids had a great time. There was no problem at all. They were orderly. They handled themselves well, and they just had a great time. It gave us an opportunity to test some of them. Mm -hmm. It gave us an opportunity to talk with them, 
to introduce ourselves, to show them that we are a safe place that they can come if they have questions or concerns around HIV or 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 any sexual activity mm-hmm. um, or or any any other reason. We want them to know that this is where they can come, and so that's why we went to meet them. And again, our my team we go out to uh, to various schools. Uh, the health center is uh, does uh, operate a number of school-based health centers. Mm-hmm. We go to those. We go to schools that we don't have health-based centers. <laughs> we we're just trying to get out there and reach this group. And then the the other population, which is the young men who have sex with men, mm-hmm. that is a population that's even harder to reach. And why is that? Well, you know, a lot of them um, have been in jail or for whatever reason mm-hmm. and have done what they've had to do to survive in jail and come out of jail and still have those uh, survival instincts and still continue to have sex with men, but also with women. Mm-hmm. And so this is a population that is really um, difficult to reach because they don't identify as being gay. So if we were to have an event that was specific to gay uh, gay people, they wouldn't identify with that. And you're not going to so reach them. So they wouldn't them. be there. Right. Yeah. So we're we're trying everything we can do to reach that population as well. Um, and that's one of the reasons we had uh, the concert. Mm-hmm. Now... So and- we're... We're just trying anything we can do, all creative types of ways to, to reach that group. Yeah, thinking outside the box, right? Yeah. Now, according to the state, it says, in 2014, HIV cases were diagnosed in Connecticut, 212 males, 97 females. An overall rate of 8.1 per 100,000 people. Of those cases, black males were diagnosed at a rate of approximately eight times of that of white males, and Hispanic males were diagnosed at a rate at approximately four times that of white males. Here's the thing for me, and I have been talking about this, and you and I have been talking about this on radio for quite some time. The disparity among females was also significant with 72% of the females diagnosed classified as black or African-American. So that number is slowly still rising among African-American women in Connecticut. Right. And, you know, I think that one of the things that, you know, happens is because the fact that women aren't the highest population diagnosed, that sometimes they get disregarded. Mm. And sometimes we, uh, as, as you know, um, HIV AIDS activists or, or program directors or, or providers, mm-hmm. we tend to focus on whatever population mm-hmm. is the most affected at the time. Now, while females in the African-American community aren't the highest diagnosed, they are, it is a significant disparity. Mm -hmm. So we have to pay attention to that. And, you know, I think that women need to realize that they, they do have options. 
We, you know, you and I have talked about how women have difficulty in negotiating uh, the conversation about use of condoms. Right. And the fact uh, or admitting to a doctor that they're having sex possibly with a partner that they're not sure if they're having sex with men or women. That's a hard conversation to have. Right. And, you know, we have to also understand that, yes, we may be married, uh, Mm -hmm. but there still is a potential for that man to have sex with other women Mm -hmm. and have sex with other men and come back to you and continue to have sex. Mm -hmm. So those are some of the things that I think, you know, women need to continue to pay attention to. Mm-hmm. But that we also have options. We we can have have our our partners use condoms. There are also female condoms. We can also uh, prep isn't just for men. It's also for women too. Women can use prep as well. Uh huh. Prep is basically a daily uh, prep is basically taking a daily pill that will prevent you from uh, getting the disease. Really. Uh, not some yes, it's not something you would typically want to do unless you are at high risk. Okay. So let's say you let's say you 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 know your partner is, or you find out your partner is HIV positive, um, and you're you think, you know you think you're positive as well, but you find out that you're not. Mm-hmm. So now what do you do? You're faced with a partner who is is positive. You want to stay with the partner, but now you have this other issue to be concerned about. Mm -hmm. You can actually ask your doctor about PrEP. And PrEP, uh, your doctor can put you on PrEP, and that should not just be used alone. It should be used in partnership with a condom. Uh That alone can, can really keep you from or keeping your partner from transmitting HIV to you, who, and so you would remain negative. So how... Now, this is something that's hard. We haven't been, you know, that whole concept is hard to, hard yeah. to advertise and hard to get people to understand. Right. But it, it is a tool that we have in our toolbox now that we can utilize to, to prevent transmission. So, so if, if you have or if you're a sex worker mm-hmm. and you know that you need to be having sex without condoms, talk to your doctor, go to the, go to the Hill Health Center, talk to our doctor, <laughs> you know, if you don't have one, um, and, and ask about PrEP because this is a tool that you can use to help prevent the spread of the disease. But do you give people any suggestions and how to broach that conversation with someone, you know, negotiating on using a condom? Michelle, I find that to be one of the hardest conversations (laughs) to have. And I know that women um, find difficulty in having that conversation. But I think that the only advice I would offer is to have it even before you get to the point of sex. Okay. Have that conversation when you're on your date, you know, when you're just getting to know him. 
you know, you know, what, you know, have you been tested? Mm-hmm. You know, do you know your status? Um, you know, how do you feel about condoms? Or listen, I'm not going to have sex unless I'm having a, unless we're using a condom. Mm-hmm. You know, have that conversation even before you get to the point of, you know, being in the moment. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, or before you're having cocktails or, or you know, you're, you're feeling vulnerable. Just have it before when everything is, is new and fresh so you know where the person is coming from right off the bat. And where they stand. Yeah. Yeah. Is there, you know, it, it still bothers me that AIDS has been classified as a chronic disease. And I know that's because it's manageable. But does that get in the way of somebody really taking it seriously, taking care of themselves or, you know, sort of abstaining and not just having freestanding, if you will, sex? Has it made a change by it being called a chronic disease? Well, you know, interestingly enough, for the youth, the 13 to 24, they haven't heard those prevention messages that we all used to hear, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, back in the 80s, late 80s, early 90s. So those messages don't even resonate for that population right Mm -hmm. now. Um, But the thing that has not changed that we can't seem to make headway on is the stigma surrounding the disease. Mm -hmm. This is the major thing that keeps people from getting tested, keeps people from being on treatment, um, and keeps people from spreading the disease. If we can't get a handle on stigma, we're really not going to get rid of this in our Mm -hmm. community. Mm -hmm. Um, We find it difficult uh, oftentimes to have this conversation with the faith-based community. Mm, Still. Um, Yeah. But still, we've come a long way from where we were. Yeah, because there was a time when, uh, you know, people would not even have that conversation in a church. So, you know, God rest her soul, Elsie Cofield kind of put that to rest in this town. Absolutely. Um, for the time that she was active, mm-hmm. the time that her and uh, Reverend Cofield were active. Mm-hmm. Since then, we've starting, we're starting to see some of the old attitude come back. But why um, is that? Is it because we're, we're, we're not educating people? We're not talking about the disease or because it's being looked at as a chronic disease, people aren't taking it as serious? Yeah, I mean, I think because, again, we're not seeing it. Uh, mm. We're not seeing people who are unhealthy. We're not seeing the devastation. Uh-huh. That's what is one of the things that keeps us where we are. So we don't think about it. We don't have to think about it anymore because we're not seeing that. Um, and, you know, one of the problems I, I, you know, I think in terms of the the faith-based um, in, in dealing with the, that community is the is the idea that, you know, gays are not um, 
they don't allow or don't want or don't believe that that gays should um, exist, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, that it, it is not something that God wanted. Um, or or that God uh, would have them do. And so, therefore, it is against his, his uh, you know, his, his teachings. Mm-hmm. So, um, so it's very difficult to talk to sometimes some of the faith-based community about that. But there are others that are very open to talking about it, understanding that, you know, their pop- their their congregations are being affected mm-hmm. in either infected or affected by mm-hmm. it. And there's, you know, some some uh churches that call us every year for World AIDS Day and have us come to their church and do uh and do a presentation with the congregation. Sometimes there's uh two maybe two pews that may be filled. <laughs> um and other times there's maybe ten. Uh, but, uh, you know, talking to one person may make a difference. Effect, it can make a difference. So make a difference. we go whenever we're asked and we try to go and, 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 uh, reach out to them all the time. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of work to be done in this. It's that stigma of, of perhaps being gay, um, the stigma of, of having the disease is really a social justice issue. How so? And we've got to we've got to stop considering this as an individual failure. You know, um, it's really a governmental and community failure. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, you know, there's also there's there's issues around access and okay. uh, access to healthcare and and um, you know, fortunately here in in this area in the northeast uh, area, we're doing a lot better than in the south, where um, where HIV and AIDS is still very, very serious, and the numbers are are very high. I'm looking at um, I'm looking at the mm-hmm. continuum of care for yeah. 2014. In 90 percent of those who were diagnosed in 2013, uh, they were linked to care within three months. It says 70% were engaged at least in one visit in 12 months. And 60%, I guess, are being treated viral suppression. Can you talk to that a little bit? You know, define viral suppression. Because these are are New Haven numbers as of 2014, which I'm sure you're familiar with. Yeah. Well, you know, the viral suppression is is what determines the amount of disease that's in your body, basically. Okay. Um, and if you are virally suppressed, which is under two hundred copies, mm-hmm. then then you know that means that you have a very limited ability to transmit HIV. Mm-hmm. So you want all your patients who are HIV positive to be virally suppressed. Okay. And here in New Haven, we've done a really great job um, in um, getting our patients to be virally suppressed. Yeah, 60% is a great number. Well, you know, in New Haven, it's our number, um, particularly within the Ryan White Part A organization, 
um, we're at above 85%. Mm. So that's above the national average. So we're but now doing is that, well. is that, is that total population or of, of, of clients or is that in a certain age group? That's total population. Okay. Clients. Okay. And so we're doing, we're doing pretty well here. Um, once we get people in the care. Now, keeping people in care is, the, is, is different. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that, there are a number of reasons for that. Um, you know, again, the stigma is an issue because, especially for the younger population, mm-hmm. they're concerned that their parents are going to find out so they won't come. You know, they don't want to let their parents know I mean, we've gone through a lot of um, different uh, ways to get people in the care to hide the fact that they are HIV positive, you know, um, Mm -hmm. and to keep their information. We want to make certain that everybody feels comfortable. We um, We don't have a separate clinic where we see only HIV patients. If you come into our clinic, nobody knows who's there for what. Right. You know, right. and that makes people feel better because they're not identified as soon as you walk through the door. So we have that um, that we think is important because, you know, like I said, people really don't want to to come clean with their with their families and and their partners, oftentimes because of the stigma around the disease, mm-hmm. where people still think you're a failure because you 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 had sex with someone or you're you're you know not worthy because you did this and now you've got this disease and some people are still even in this even 35 years later some people still don't understand how the disease is transmitted and mm. feel like you know they can't um you know do normal things with people who are infected and you know even still, people think you can catch it from toilet seats and right. holding hands and, and all that. And all of that is not true. So it still remains an ongoing educational process. I was going to say, it and, sounds like education is key again. Yeah. And I mean, like I, like I said, the, you know, we haven't, been, we haven't been putting out messages in years because people look differently now. They're not as, mm-hmm. you know... The, the the death rates are not as significant as they were back then. And so we're not putting out a lot of, of messages about HIV. I mean, you, you don't see them very often. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're not reaching the younger people with any messages. So we have, and we have to reach them where they are. So again, we got to continue to go out and find them, talk mm-hmm. with them. And I think if our if our our community could start having conversations just about sex, right? Then we could talk about sex, right? <laughs> you know, if we could just talk about sex, then we could begin to talk about <laughs> some of these other things that are important to keeping our kids safe. Well, I think I think that's a that's a big piece, and that's that's the flip side of the faith based education. Because you're not supposed to be having sex in the first place. We're not even discussing sex, much less you having it and and so-called catching some kind of disease, in quote. Um, 
So when you start to talk about educating people, you know, you, you have the stigma of people not wanting to believe that their children are having sex or experimenting right. with sex. Mm-hmm. And kids today are really experimenting. Right. I mean, they, they are trying everything first before they determine who they are or what yes. they are or what their sexual identity is. Yes. There are a lot of, and they are trying everything. And so we really have to, we really have to be talking to them mm-hmm. right out the box. As soon as, you know, they're old enough to talk about it and understand it. Mm-hmm. And today that is 13, <laughs> you know, <laughs> even at 13, we have to start talking to them about that. Yeah. Because I, I think it's important because of the different things that I hear in, in the school that I'm working in currently and um, the, the attitudes toward sex, which are to me healthy attitudes, but at the same time, there's also um, not enough education around it. I mean, and when I say healthy, I mean, you would expect that at this point in these young people's lives that they would be interested or begin to be interested in sex. Because, I mean, that's that's being human. So mm-hmm. it, it's one of those things where I'm, I'm hearing about not necessarily, I don't know if they're real experiences or imagined experiences or, you know, what they are currently doing. Well, you really doing. don't want them getting their information from right. uh, social media. Right. You know, you, you, you really want them getting, your, getting the proper information right. from you as a parent. Or, you know, we actually had a parent call us up and say, can you come out? to a graduation party that we're having and um, for our, our child. And there'll be a lot of kids here, and we know they're getting it in. <laughs> Can you come out here and talk to our kids about uh, pro- uh, protecting themselves, themselves, about sex and about HIV? Mm-hmm. And we, we went to a graduation party, and we did our thing. <laughs> we came with tons of cons and educational materials. If you want us to come out, we'll come out. Uh, again, you know, no, that is truly meeting where people are. where they are. Right. You know, and the fact that at least the parent called you and said, look, we we know what's going on and we need some help. Right. That says a lot. It does. And it's, you know, it's being uh, intuitive. Uh, mm-hmm. We actually had done the, a presentation at a hair salon, a local hair salon, mm-hmm. and a woman that was at that presentation heard about all of this and said, you know, I need you guys to come out. You know, just as, um, you know, confirmation of what she had been trying to talk to her, her child about. Mm, yeah. So um, it's really important that we give them, especially, you know, kids that are going off to college, Right. Are the real experimental years, um, you know, the uh, the fun years, if you will, and um, uh, the times when, you know, at, and at the 
at that age where you're actually having probably the majority of sex that you're going to have. Right, right. Um, and uh, so it's important for them to have the tools that they need to keep safe and healthy. So as as you move through the coming year, are we going to see social media campaigns? Are we going to see more parties? I don't want you to give too much away, but I'm sure that you'll be out in the community just as often as you have been. Yeah, we will be. Um, you know, we are, uh, the Cornell Sky Hill Health Center it is a community health, federally qualified community health center, and we do believe in serving the community. So um, it's important to us to be a part of the community, um, know the population, understand the need, and try to meet that need and fill in any gaps that we can. So my team, I have an excellent team, uh, extremely knowledgeable, very committed and and, um, uh, compassionate. Mm -hmm. And they will be out this year. We hold several events throughout the year that we do to raise awareness. Um, Coming up will be in February, we have uh, the Black National Black HIV AIDS Awareness Day that we will be out in the community. Uh, we'll probably be doing uh, a number of things, but one of the things we like to do is barbershop and hair salon out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So barbershop and hair salons can look for us in February. <laughs> um, and then in March, we have National Women and Girls HIV AIDS Awareness Day. Mm-hmm. So we'll definitely be doing something then. And we have partnered in the past with uh, uh, female organizations like the Elm City Club of the Black Business and Professional Women. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also have partnered with Delta Sigma Theta Sorority, New Haven Alumni Chapter. Mm-hmm. And so we'd like to continue to do that and um, uh, partner with those organizations to do these activities. And then we'll have, you know, lots of testing events. We may or may not have another concert. We'll see. (laughs) Uh, But we will be trying to think about things out of the box that can try to reach the populations that we've been talking about and try to get the information to them. So how are we looking? Help them in any way we can. How are we looking as a, how are we looking as a city in dealing with this disease. We have gotten better. You've got yes. 60% of the population that you're aware of that are that is getting treatment with viral suppression. Yeah, it's just that, you know, I think I think we're doing great as a city um, once we identify folks. And I think, you know, maybe people need to know that there, there is um, an, an initiative that is throughout the city, throughout the state, actually, it is our routine testing. Mm-hmm. And so what that is, is basically we're, we're asking providers to test people for HIV as part of the regular regimen of testing. So if you go in to see your doctor on a yearly, annual basis, when you get your, your test for diabetes, you get your, your high blood pressure, mm-hmm. you get all of your cholesterol, we want them to just go ahead and test you for HIV as well. So that is is happening across uh, the state and across the country. Mm-hmm. We are finding a lot of people 
in that process who are positive because they may not think that they are Mm -hmm. when they actually are. So, you know, we'll continue to do that. And, but we've got to identify this population of young black men who have sex with men. Mm -hmm. And the earlier, the better. The earlier, the better, because what's happening for the state, unfortunately, is that once we've been identifying people, they're already almost at the AIDS diagnosis. Mm. Wow. We're not, we're not identifying them early on. Early enough. We're, no, we're identifying them when they're close to AIDS. Mm. So we've got to do better at that. We also are trying to do better as a community on keeping people retained in care. Once people get into care and stay in the care, follow their regimen, they can be virally suppressed and do well and live long. And once you're virally suppressed, it is much, much, much more difficult to transmit the disease. We want to make certain everybody who is HIV positive is virally suppressed. So there's still about 15% of that population or, or so that really we need to work on getting into treatment and getting mm-hmm. them virally suppressed. Mm-hmm. So we're still working on things like that. And then once we do all of that, you know, I think we'll be in a really good place. But we have to keep the messages going. Yeah. And that's where I think we've fallen short a little bit. Mm -hmm. We haven't been out in the community saying this disease is still here. There's still a lot of people affected. There's still a lot of people that can get infected. And you still need to protect yourself. And this is how you do it. And now, like I said, we have these additional tools like PrEP, mm-hmm. that can be used to, to prevent transmission, um, and still the faithful condoms. And I always carry condoms all, all around. If you see me, give me. <laughs> and you need some condoms, let me know. I usually have them in the car. <laughs> I laugh because I, every time I go to something that Hill Health Center has, I come back with all these condoms, and I give them to my daughter, and she's like, what are you doing? doing with all these condoms. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know? So, you know, it's, I'm like, look, this is to your benefit. So, right. you know, take them. But thank you, Dolores, for being with us today. I really appreciate it, especially because I know you're you're a bit under the weather and um, it, it probably took a lot of energy <laughs> for you to get through this interview, but I Thank you so much for being with us this morning. I really do appreciate it. Thank you, Michelle. I just wanted to be able to help to get the message out to folks that, um, you know, while the disease is still here, there is help Mm -hmm. and um, there's still work for us to do as a community. And we need to reduce the stigma around the disease so that people feel comfortable with getting tested, comfortable with staying there infected. Mm -hmm comfortable with getting treatment. Dolores Greenlee is the Director of Infectious Diseases at the Cornell Scott Hill Health Center here in New Haven. And we've taken taken a look at AIDS in New Haven as a few weeks ago, World AIDS Day did occur. And I was curious as to where we were in this fight. 
So again, thank you to Dolores Greenlee. You've been listening to the show right here on WNHH 103.5 LP FM, New Haven.